This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. I'm watching the game the other night. I've actually been very much enjoying the Stanley Cup Finals, even though I don't really understand what's going on because the series is very strange. The better team, I think, has lost all three games so far, roughly. Or at least the team that, I mean, I thought Pittsburgh was by, was way outplayed in the first game. So-so in the second game, and I thought Pittsburgh looked pretty good, and then Nashville got hot in the end of the second. Anyway, and midway through the game on Saturday night, a not very impressive, a small catfish comes flying out of the crowd. Not, you know, we've seen some big catfish. Little catfish flies out and splats at the blue line. And now, it was previously dead, so we're not talking about cruelty to animals here. Wait, somebody had to kill it. Well, at some point, I mean... Maybe it just died because it was out of the water. Maybe. Maybe old age. It was natural causes. I mean, who knows? But anyway, this, this catfish lands on the ice, and the NHL has announced, as they have all along, that catfish are not allowed to be thrown onto the ice. This is a big no-no. In fact, one guy, I believe, was charged in Pittsburgh for throwing a catfish on the ice. Um, why? Why is this a problem? Because to why me, a catfish? Why in general? Because to me, these are those things that are traditions that I I, I think add something. I don't want the, I don't want catfish raining from the skies. I don't want a, a hail of catfish. But go back twenty years when the Florida Panthers were in the Stanley Cup Finals. Remember, every time rats. they scored, thousands of rubber rats came flying down out well, of the Well, the crowd. franchise gave plastic rats out when you come into the game. Yeah, so but, but that was because Scott Mellenby, in the dressing room, it was an old dumpy arena, and a rat ran through the dressing room, and he took a slap shot and killed it, and the story got out, and so everyone started throwing rats. I don't understand. When you go to Detroit, has anyone ever said you can't throw an octopus? It's a part of the celebration. It's a part of the culture, and it's expected. I just, I think this is, again, I don't want thousands of catfish. I don't want everyone carrying in big duffel bags filled with catfish, but it seems to me it's a nice, weird, interesting part of the new tradition in Nashville. I don't have a problem with it. I like the way they get them in. Well. They strap them to their back and put a Nashville sweater over top of them. A buddy has to unhook it so they can throw it out. They might be. They got to be hammered to do that, let alone by the time, you know. How does it not smell? I'm sure it does. Have you seen the guys that are throwing them? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Probably an upgrade. Do you, I'll, I'll tell you, this is not a new tradition. I remember being a linesman and going out to Dunville, the referee. The well, Dunville, they have the Mudcats. Mudcats. Yep. And it was a playoff game, and we got sent out there with Jimmy Burton, the referee from Brantford. I was only a linesman at the time. It happened when I refereed, too. This Mudcat comes rolling out on the ice, and he looks at me. He says, well, you're the rookie. Pick it up. So I went to pick it up. It's all slimy. He said, I said, pick it up. I said, I'm not picking it up. He said, yes, you are. He said, we can't play with it there. So I, <laughs> I went down to the end, and the guy handled me, handed me a shovel. I said, give me that uh, pylon. So they gave me a little orange pylon. I come out and put it on top of the fish. I said, now play. <laughs> well, everybody went nuts. They thought it was kind of funny, but I was in a little more trouble than I'd planned on. But in any event, in Dunville, they've been doing it for years, and it's a tradition. So who's it hurting? If you know, If they're doing the, it at well, a stoppage fish. of play, right, if they're doing it at a stoppage of play. After a big moment of some kind. Yeah, no. No harm, no foul. I mean, who cares? I mean, the NHL have to say that for liability reasons, and, you know, we can't have this, and it's cruelty to animals. And you know what? The NHL don't really care. They got, but they're like so many other people. They have to be politically correct. But, Don, say, a guy got charged in Pittsburgh for throwing one. Now, well, I know that was Pittsburgh. It's not at home. Well, let, let's follow it. Let's see what happens. No, it already got dropped. But the, but the reality is that this is, uh, they are coming down hard enough on it that they're trying to make it illegal. And I'm saying... 
No, they, there should be a catfish on the ice every single game the Predators play. They, they have to make a politically correct statement, and that is you can't throw catfish on the ice. Do you think the NHL care if they get branded with something like that? It's not the worst thing that's ever happened to them, but it will disguise a lot of the mistakes they do make. What do you mean? Well, the NHL are monkeying things up all through, offside, oh, going to video. The catfish is the least of their problems. I'd let that carry on. Or maybe they're trying to make it a news story so they don't talk about anything else. But here's my question about it. Again, I go back. Detroit, I don't remember the NHL ever. Maybe I missed it. I don't remember them ever saying we are adamantly opposed to the octopus being thrown on the ice because that's a part of tradition. And I, Maybe they've said it. Maybe there's been a, a big crackdown in Detroit on octopi, but I don't recall hearing it. And more than that, all right, so let's leave animals out of they it. They are ugly. Well, they really are, and they're gross. But yeah. you get that guy from Detroit who picks it up and swings overhead, and I'm sure there's slime and ink and everything flying around all over the place, but they do it. But here's the other thing. If it's a safety issue, all right, we don't want stuff landing on the ice. Has the NHL ever said that when a guy gets a hat trick, you can't throw your hat on the ice? They encourage that. Well, because it helps sales. Well, that too. And you're not sure... What the reasoning is in the NHL, it's about the money. Bet on money. And if you're really not sure, go back to the first answer. It's about the money. So if somebody throws out 1,000 or 1,500 Pittsburgh Penguin hats, the guy's sitting there going, well, that was fun, but I paid 38 bucks for that yeah, hat. Yeah, that's oops. That was brilliant. Yep. Right? So, I mean, th- th- you're right. They do let that type of thing go on. And, like, the Octopi, I'll tell you, Remember the opening of Coach's Corner? I don't know if they still use it or not, where Grapes reaches into the pail. And pulls it out. In Detroit at the river in a muscle shirt and has, has the octopus in his hand. I mean, he was promoting it. They were always in Detroit for the finals. The NHL, to me, should be promoting this stuff. Look, we're going to talk about Nashville as a hockey market in a minute. But to me, these kind of things are what make a league, a sport, unique and make and brand them. Um, you know, when Florida had the rats, John Van Beesbrook was playing there, playing against Colorado. We lost in the, what was the game? Did they not lose in game seven in overtime, in double overtime? Uwe Krupp scored from the blue line to give Colorado the Stanley Cup. But all that playoff, when a goal was scored for, for uh, Florida at home, tens of thousands probably of rats yep. would come flying out. And yeah, it, you know what? It delayed the game. I understand that. But I'd much rather have a delay of game because of a tradition that thousands of rats came flying down than to go back to the replay and look up replay for five minutes. All right, It takes five minutes to clean it up. It takes four minutes to look at the replay of an offside. I'll take the rats every time. And I think that it became a something that people would tune in to watch. It became something that you wanted to see. Let's see how many rats come out tonight. Well, it's it's an awful lot better than the incident in the playoffs last year where that loon fired a a tall boy at the outfielder in Toronto. Oh, in baseball, yeah. Almost conked him on the melon. I mean, at least these guys are throwing catfish during stoppages of play. Now, if they start whipping that crap out there or anything out there during while the play is going on, that's not a good we're situation. Not, we're not talking about that. I understand. We're that, not talking about that. I, and they may the, think it's going to lead. I'm telling you, they're paying lip service to it. We better say you can't do this anymore. Generally, when you say you can't do it anymore, I wouldn't be surprised there's 15 catfish out there tonight. Right, you tell a bunch of guys yeah. that are that are loony hockey fans and wound up like a three cent watch going to watch their team play and say you can't throw a catfish on the ice anymore. You kidding me? You watch tonight. The one see, and the other part about this is that 
I have yet now. I, I haven't watched every single Nashville Predators game. I'll be honest with you. I mean, probably these playoffs are about the first Nashville Predators games I've ever watched. You just we can't we don't see them much. That's why here. we don't know anything about them? Everybody's going. How did they get there? Yeah. They're not bad. How do you know? I don't know. Nobody. Nobody knows. Yeah. Who other than in Nashville? Nobody has really seen them. But I've yet to see any evidence that anyone's throwing one of these things. Same in Detroit, same in Florida, with malice. Nobody's aiming a giant 10-pound catfish at a, at a penguin player. They're throwing it into the open ice when something happens. And I, Again, I... It is fun. Get over yourself, right? I, I love the idea. I love these kind of traditions that are fun that are... You know, remember, was it last year or two years ago when Edwin Encarnacion in a Blue Jays game, they were playing Detroit. And he had the three homer, ten RBI game or nine RBI game. I can't remember what it was. Only threw the hats. Uh, and all of a sudden, they start. Everyone in the crowd starts. A bunch of people start throwing their hats. See, that was the year of Bautista's home run. I think it was 2015. Then that was the year of Bautista's home run. That was the year of a lot of other big things that happened. To me, you know, the Bautista home run against Texas, of course, is the biggest moment of that season. But my favorite moment of that yeah. season was when he gets a hat trick and in baseball people start throwing their hats. I thought that was perfect. And the Blue Jays, you know, the announcer goes, please don't throw hats. But nobody was going to stop you. No one was going to stop you from Who hit the three home runs? Encarnacion. Right, and they had to remember they had to explain to him why they were throwing the hats. That's right. What are you throwing all the hats on for? He's got, uh, uh, what was the backup catcher's name? Um, I can't think of his name right now. Who was uh, the Spanish guy who in Spanish explaining to him what ha- why people are throwing hats, because after the game, Encarnacion says, I thought I did something wrong. I thought I offended them. And it was like, no, 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 this is what they do in Canada. And um, well, He's doing well this year. He's got three home runs already this year, I think. <laughs> yeah, well. They're getting, not paying him $20 million a year. He's getting warmer. He's going to get warm. But, um, no, it is, uh, I, I, I would hope that tonight, when they play again, the game's later tonight, uh, I would hope that there is a catfish on the ice. I hope there's a couple catfish on the ice. I find it amazing that they won't start the NHL games till this Monday night show's over. They, oh, they, our show? Yeah. Yeah, no, I appreciate they that. They put this segment off. They put it off till after this segment. It's No, it's good. It's, it's amazing. It's, uh, it is really appreciated that they do that, but um, it, it, it will be interesting. And the Blue Jays, they don't start till like 10.30 or something tonight. They're out in Oakland. Yep. They're out in Oakland. By the way. Sportsnet will be happy about that. Yeah, can't... Um, can't remember the name of the book. I'll find it during the break and uh, tell you. But if anyone is looking for a great, well, I'll, I'll, I'll save it till after the break. It's a, it's, I read this sports book the other day. I don't read a lot of sports books. I do a lot of sports as it is. I, you read a book in a day, my lips would get tired. <laughs> there is a, it was a terrific story about the 1970s Oakland A's with Charlie O'Finley, who was the owner, who owned, you know what other team he owned? Oakland Golden Seals. The California, yeah, the Oakland or California Golden Seals who wore the white, white skates. skates. And, um, yeah, Charlie O'Finley was one of the great characters in sports history. Him and Bill Veck, who used to own the Chicago White Sox. And it is, uh, I'll find the name and I'll come back with it after the break. If you're looking for a great sports book for the summer to read that's just about the goofiness of sports. It's with Reggie Jackson and all these guys from the Oakland A's, Thurman Munson and Catfish Hunter, not Thurman Munson, Catfish Hunter and Vita Blue and all these guys. Um, great sports book. We'll, cut, we'll take a break. I'll come back with the name of it so you can go look it up and you can either get a copy on Kobo or at the library or whatever. Great sports book. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. 
the book, by the way, we were talking about before the break. If you're looking for a great summer sports book, something to, that is very light and very fun and you like baseball at all, it's called Dynastic Bombastic Fantastic by Jason Turbo, T-U-R-B-O-W. It's all about the 1970s Oakland A's. And even if you're not old enough to remember the 1970s Oakland A's, don't worry about it. It's a great read. Dynastic Bombastic Fantastic. That is the name of the book. Give that one a read if you can find it. I believe it is available from the public library on um, on ebooks. I think that's how I've downloaded it, in fact. Uh, anyway, there you go. Oh, and Don, I, I did want to ask you this. Um, I don't know if you saw that uh, our prime minister was at Niagara Falls today with Kelly Ripa and uh, uh, Ryan Seacrest doing live with whatever the show was called now. I guess Kelly and Ryan. And he was uh, being all sexy, like he does. He's the big sexy. And they asked him if they would like his children to follow in his footsteps to be the third Trudeau, to which many Canadians threw themselves off Niagara Falls into the Niagara River, but no. Uh, And he said, definitely not. Although I will say I have one daughter, and there's something very special about imagining a female prime minister. I think it's long overdue. Somebody may want to remind him of someone named Kim Campbell. If you're the prime minister, and there's only been a few of them, you should probably remember the other prime ministers. There's not that many to re- to memorize. I don't think he's remembering a lot of the conservative MP or prime ministers. Uh, no, I, I that may well have been the uh, may well have been the point. But nonetheless, if, if you're if you're going to be a, representing your country on international television, you should probably know a little bit of your country's history. Would you trade him for Trump? I would put them in a cage and have them fight it out, and I think Trump would win because I think Trump would fight mean. He would fight to win. He would fight to win. Um, I don't know. I, I'm I'm not uh, I'm not exactly feeling overwhelming confidence in the leader of either of the North American countries right now. I, I you know, Trump it, is Trump, and Trudeau is uh, has has done little to, in my mind, he's done little to show that he's different from anyone else. All the you know, all the promises, everything, ev- nothing's done. Nothing's done. It's he's the trying, same as, though. It's the same as every other he's prime minister. He's trying to put a ban, which he said he would do. He's trying to put America first so he got out of the climate accord. You're talking about Trudeau now or Trump? Trump. No, well. He's trying to do what he said he would do. His followers love it because he's trying. The, the he, he, One little thing he's not familiar with is Congress and the Senate have to kind of pass things. He's used to telling his kids to go do it, and they go do it, and that hasn't worked out as well for him, but he's new. Yeah. As I say, I, I, I don't think that uh, that either one is exactly a... Uh, you know our environment our environment minister's from Hamilton, eh, Catherine McKenna? Yeah. Her dad, John, was my dentist for... Is that forever. right? Yeah. She uh, took swimming lessons and was almost an Olympic swimmer and learned how to swim in Dundas. So they paddled up and down Niagara River today. I saw that she Much was Much to the news. chagrin to you, you probably wish they were paddling the other way. <laughs> I just... I, I it just... To me, would be if you're going to position yourself as a new type of politician, if that's if that's what you're going to be, if that's how you're going to win an election, I'm a new politician. I'm going to do things differently from everyone else. These are new times. Then try to do those things that you've promised, right? That's all I'm saying. If if and and, and all the things, Justin Trudeau said there will be no more omnibus bills, and immediately puts in omnibus bills. And all anyway, we're not going to get into politics right now. I just. I'm so disappointed in politicians generally. I'm not just picking on Justin Trudeau. I'm so disappointed by and large. Not everyone. We are okay with Kathleen Wynne. 
It's so politicians are often disappointing. The current crop just seem particularly odorous. They really, well. there's just nothing. You look at this and everybody who comes forward and says, oh, I'm a new brand of politician turns out to be exactly the same, but yet we all fall for it. And we all say, oh, they're going to be new. And then oh, they do I think exactly Trump's new. I think his brand is pretty new. No, that, I didn't that, say that popular. Be, I said new. That may be true too. All right. Uh, let's stick with this for one second because the city of Nashville, I got to tell you, um, I had... Um, uh, Ryan Ellis on here some time ago, defenseman for Nashville, wears number four. He's got the gigantic beard if you're watching. Local guy from Fielton. Redhead. Yeah, played three years on Canada's World Junior Team, was the captain of that team, on and on. Anyway, great player, and he was on this show, I don't know, a year and a half, two years ago, and we were talking about Nashville, and I was asking him questions about, you know, how's Nashville? Because, again, as I said last segment, we don't see much of Nashville on TV as far as hockey goes. And he said, you know what? This is a great place to play. It's a great fan base. And I, and myself, and I think a lot of other people are going, yeah, okay. You have to say that because you play in Nashville. I have been blown away with the folks in Nashville. And what I'm wondering is, is this just a compliment to Nashville? Or is this a glowing triumph for Gary Bettman that his team in Nashville has succeeded the way it has? Couple things, I think. If you're if you don't like Gary Batman, then you would say if you know if you throw enough of it against the wall, some of it's going to stick. Eventually, one's going to work, right? One's going to work. But if you look at the success story, San Jose's been, you know, it's the Sun Belt team. Uh, Anaheim have been particularly successful. Tampa. Dallas, up and down. Uh, Phoenix, the jury is out. It's going to. I would think they can turn that thing around if they give it another hundred, hundred and fifty years. <laughs> Florida went crazy for a little while, but now if you buy a ticket, they'll give you a new car. Yep, pretty much. And and that ticket's only $4. Tampa's doing very well, thanks to the guys like Dave Andertruck for winning the Stanley Cup for them. So there's a lot more success stories than than the populace and the people that don't like Gary Bettman would like to think there was ever going to be. And Nashville's a wonderful, a wonderful story. Now, I think we can give... Hamilton credit for a lot of their success because they went, we're going to lose our team to Hamilton, Ontario, if we don't fill the rink. So they've got on the bandwagon. Same with and the other team in the finals. Yeah, the other team. In the, that's right. Those, we talked Jim Balsley that. was supposed to have both those teams. Yeah, they should both give him a Stanley Cup ring if they win because he kind of solidified their uh, their existence. In either their team wins. Yeah, either team wins. There should be a parade down the middle of Main Street here in Hamilton because we own. We should have had part of these teams. Or part, partly Kitchen Waterloo by Blackberry, which is. Probably a smaller parade now. But it, it's and Nashville have done a good job. I mean, we've talked about it before. There's all kinds of rinks in Dallas. There's all kinds of rinks in Florida. And it's a regional sport. There's no question about it. It's not a national sport. But Nashville have done such a tremendous job. And that's all you can ask for. And I think that the NBC that, that do it on, on TV are doing a pretty decent job. And more people are watching and understanding. Is Nashville, though... Florida. Is Nashville Florida North in that? Remember, I go back to that what we were talking about last segment with John Van Beesbrook and all these guys in the 1990-whatever-it-was Stanley Cup Finals, and it was chaos in Florida. They loved it in Miami in Sunrise, and now they're nothing. if, If Nashville fades back to the pack again... But Nashville weren't nothing. 
I mean, they've been pretty good for four or five years, so they've built. Now, are they going to be every, like every other place? I'm talking about the, you, not the team. I'm talking about the fan base. No, I know, but you'd better win or they won't come. That's what I'm wondering. So Florida were god-awful for the same length of time as the Leafs without a tremendous starving fan base. They went, oh, well, this is over. This is no fun. You know, it was kind of a cool thing to do for a little while. Nashville have built a very good, strong fan base. Will they sell out every game if they go in a dumper? Maybe not, but everybody's faced with that. Dallas was like that. Dallas are better now. Chicago wasn't selling out for a while. So I don't think it's exclusive to Nashville. But no, the answer to the question is, I think Nashville have taken a long journey to get where they are marketing-wise, fan base-wise, and talent-wise. I think they're going to be a stable franchise for a long time. And they've done some good things to make it a fun atmosphere to be in. I mean, some of the chants that they do and stuff are hilarious. Well, you know what I think helps in some of those southern um, states? I mean, I was at the, the last time the Oilers went in the playoffs, I went to Game 7 in Carolina. And I'm telling you, the people that were outside that building and the stuff that they let them do, I mean, it was the world's biggest tailgate. I've been to uh, Rich Stadium, uh, dating myself, Ralph Wilson Stadium. And, you know, and the Americans are not opposed to people going to athletic events and having a good time. And some of those buildings are like what the Leafs are doing now. When when they when when they've got it on the big screen mm-hmm. outside of the Air Canada Center and they've got that area cordoned off. I mean, we're just catching up to that stuff. Well, look at Broadway in Nashville. They showed the the pictures on Saturday night of 40,000 people outside the arena with the whole street. It was a giant street party. You know what it does make me think of though? Uh, and we're going to get back to Nashville in a second, but it does really make me wonder and I feel a little safer asking this question and wondering and not feeling like a complete bozo because things have gotten pointed, it seems, in the right direction around here. If the Maple Leafs ever made it to the Stanley Cup final, what would it look like? Because if Nashville is reacting like this, what would it look like if the Maple Leafs got to the Stanley well, Cup final? I've, I've said before, if the Toronto Maple Leafs get to the Stanley Cup finals, it's good for the Canadian economy. I mean, it's just a good feel-good story across this nation. First of all, they wear the Maple Leaf. Second of all, it, it we don't have Times Square in Toronto. Obviously, it's in New York. Better redundancy there. But we have something like it, a Dundas and Young. They're similar. We Dundas do, Square. and you watch. If John Tory's still mayor or somebody like him is still mayor, they will put great big TVs and they will shut they will shut Young Street down and turn it into a street party. Mm-hmm. Now the difference is in Nashville and everywhere else, you can probably go grab a beer, and they act like they're allowed to have the beer there, so they don't wreck everything when they do get two beers. You know they. It's like a scoring a touchdown. The coach says, act like you've done this before, mm-hmm. not your first time. But I think it would just turn downtown Toronto into the – when we had Hockeyville and Dundas and Ottawa and Buffalo played, we shut off Market Street in front of the armories from King right down past the building and we put up outdoor um, bouncy things for the kids and interactive games. And they brought a crane in with a 60-foot flat-screen TV if we can do that in Dundas for Hockeyville for a hockey game, can you imagine what would happen in Toronto? Well, think back in my mind. You could look at the Nashville example, and I think the Nashville, I mean, kudos to them because that's, I think, somewhat what it would look like. But I, I go back to the Olympics in 2010 in the gold medal game. You can go on YouTube and find those videos. And there were what you're describing all over the country. And you would see those. You would see those all over Toronto. You'd probably see them in Hamilton. You know, if we have... Look, if we have 
the the um, tragically hip's final concert being shown on a screen at Gage Park when they're going out. If the Leafs get to the game seven or game six of a Stanley Cup final, I could see some city councilor saying, hey, let's put a screen up there and let's have a party. And you would have that all over southern Ontario, all over Toronto. I would I would hedge a bet, and I, it's easy to say because we may not ever know, that you could sell out the Rogers Center. Sky oh, I, I would I would I would bet any money you and could. And put it on the big screen there and create the atmosphere. I would bet you any money you could. You might even be able to sell out because the weather is going to be fine. It's pretty nice out right now. You might be able to sell out Tim Horton Field and do it. I'm telling you, I think that's how big it could be if the Toronto Maple Leafs were in the finals. So what happens to Nashville after this year? Because is the, and again, I go back to it, is this just a, a not only an excitement of it being the first time and they've never been there before and they don't have a team other than this, and or it, are we looking and saying, do we need to say, you know what, Gary Bettman, we don't really like you that much in Hamilton because you've screwed us over more times than we can count. But you did well. That that, that I, I'm grinding my teeth while I say that. But you can't look at Nashville and not say this is a success story. Agreed. And I would bet you one of the reasons that the owners of Nashville wanted to sell it, whether it's they thought it was a good business move or not, they and I forget the numbers, but they were probably getting four times what they paid for the franchise. So from a business standpoint, and you own the team, you're going. All right, so I can pick up $150 million. Tell me how that's a bad deal. Having no idea it would take off the way it is. I'd be interested to see what Nashville's stats were throughout the regular season. I don't think you're going to see any games with 9,000 people. I mean, they've been drawing well for quite a while. And uh, it's not a shock that they're sold out. I mean, I've said it before. Here, Ottawa didn't sell out playoff games in the Stanley Cup playoffs this year. I guarantee you Nashville sold out every game. You know who's, as we go to break, you know who's really ticked off right now in that, about Nashville, though? Barry Trotz. Yeah. The guy's head coach there for 18 years, and they wander in the wilderness like Moses with the children of Israel. <laughs> and as soon as Peter Laviolette takes over, they enter the promised land and get to enjoy the milk and honey, and there's Barry Trotz with the Washington Capitals Looking horrible in the playoffs. I, that, that's a guy who's uh, you know, having a rough spring. You know who needs the tip of the hat is the only general manager they've ever had. Mm-hmm. David Poyle. Yep. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. You may or may not have been paying attention this last weekend. I, I'm assuming most of you weren't to our next topic because why would you? But the NHL Combine was this last weekend. Now, the Combine... I don't know why they call it the combine. They should just call it the workout because that's what it is. It's gotta, they got to have a fancy name for it so that it sounds much more impressive. But it's a workout. They put a bunch of guys, they make them ride stationary bikes to test their lung capacity and they make them jump and they make them lift weights and they test and see what they can do. And Don, you've been in hockey for a long time. Um, why? I See... And I say the same thing with football. If you can play, you can play. Why do they care what your vertical leap is in hockey? I've yet to see a player who has been a better player because he's got a high vertical leap. Well, 
combine might come from the combination of things that they make them do. I, I, I'm just saying, it could still just be called the workout yeah. or the test. What they can't call it. Don't call it the quiz or else we'll sue them for lawsuit. We don't have one, but, you know. Sue them anyway. Yeah, trademark violation, but. The, uh, I think they probably call it a combine because they can't call it what the, what the event's really for. And that's when they get to sit down with some one-on-one time and talk to them and find out what the kid's made out of and watch them interact, watch them interact with, with other guys. I think, I mean, you're right. They've seen them play hockey. If you can play, you can the play. The fact that they can jump over a hockey net into running shoes has no relevance to how good a hockey player they're going to be. That decision's already been made. To me, it's a personality check. And they're just trying to sit down, figure out what the kid's like. How does he interact with the other athletes? Is he a bit cocky? Has he got an edge to him? You know what I mean? So I think the kids are getting interviewed. Well, I'm, gonna say, I'm not going to say they're getting interviewed. They don't know they're getting interviewed because their player agents have certainly told them all about this. But that's what it's all about. Well, here's, And here's, you can't gather them all together in a hotel in Buffalo just to sit around and shoot the breeze. Here's the reason I asked the question, or one of the reasons I asked the question. Because there's a guy who is in the top three among central scouting rankings. That's the NHL's own scouting bureau. Guy named is Casey Middlestat. He is considered a possible top three, top five pick in the NHL draft. Great hockey player. Obviously can play the game. He's got good hands. He can stick handle. He can score. At the combine, he did one bench press and zero pull-ups. He couldn't do one chin-up and he could do one rep on the bench press. And this, of course, is everyone's giggling about this now. Oh, look at this little goofball. He can't do these things. And I'm looking at this going... Who cares if he can play, if he can skate, and if he can score, and presumably he can, in time, because these are young kids, he can put on some strength and put on some muscle. I don't care what his bench press numbers are. I don't care what his pull-up numbers are. I've watched him on the ice. Why does this matter? Well, you'll know how much it matters if he drops to 22nd. Yeah. But if he goes in the top seven... They may as well cancel a combine. But I'll tell you, if he scored well in his interviews, he'll go up. That would prove my point. And I, and I agree with you that the interviews are a huge, huge part of this. Uh, at which point, I still don't understand why you need guys to do bench press and shuttle drills and everything else. If they can play, if they can skate, you've watched them, you've timed them. You know, the other funny thing is it's not really tied into the combine or specifically to the scouting, but every team now, just about, whether it's junior or whether it's NHL, has a, a skills competition as part of their team. And one of the things they do is a speed skating thing that every player on the team does. So you already have numbers. Can this guy skate? And you have actual numbers to put well, beside you don't him. have the crappy guys there. you get, you got to be one of the top guys or you don't get invited. No, I know that. But I'm saying you've, you've got all these numbers for all the players. You've seen if they can score. You've seen if they can check. You've seen if they can play defense. You've seen numbers if they can skate. You've probably seen the speed of their shot. I look at this and go, what a giant waste of time this seems to me to be. It's just, this is a way for scouts to, to, to give themselves some value in the offseason or close to the offseason. Here's, here's a chance for us to go to, to watch these guys do stuff that we don't really care about. Bench press. Who cares? Apparently. If you can shoot hard. Not this kid. Well, no, no, clearly, but he's a top three prospect. So clearly he's been able to show that he can play the game even without a lot of upper body strength that he could gain with time when they put him in the gym. Yeah, but I've said why. 
They can't say we're just going to do a psychological interview on your kid. Somebody will blow a gasket. You can't you can't uh, decide if you're going to draft my kid because you think uh, he's not psycho or you're not going to draft because you think he's a kook. You can not try draft sell- him for any reason you want. Try and sell that. Well, you can draft him for any reason. I think most lots well, of kooks drafted. I'll tell you that. But there's a lot of guys also that have not been drafted very high because of their psychological makeup or perceived psychological makeup. Look at one guy in particular that comes to mind, and I, I the guy's a very good hockey player, Josh Hosang who played with Connor McDavid in minor hockey with the Toronto Marlies. And I think he went in the 20s to the Islanders. Should have gone much higher than that. At one time, he was seen as maybe a pick ahead of Josh, uh, ahead of Connor McDavid in the OHL. And the fact is, there were a lot of people who thought that he was not cut out for, in whatever that means, for the game. And he is a different cat. That's There's no doubt about that. Some of his answers and other things, is that... It, do we know if that worked? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe, but does the combine, what did you learn about him from the combine? I would argue almost nothing. I just look at, and, and football is the same way for me. Football is the same way. If a guy has had a tremendous college season, college career, you go, wow, that guy's a player. And then he goes and has a poor combine. Do you say, well, we can't draft this guy now. He only did 10 bench presses. Here's what I think things like the combine can do for you is drive you down in the draft. I don't think anybody at that combine who excels at it is going to move up four or five spots once you get in the top first round. Nobody's moving up four or five spots as a result. They do in football. They do in football, but you're right. I don't think they'll do it in hockey. Based on their physical ability in hockey and the combine that happened this weekend, nobody's jumping four or five spots because they can leap or bench press more than somebody else. No, I agree with you. I agree. No, with some you. guy goes in there and screws up every interview, and the guys are out having a beer afterwards, going, "Oh, did you talk to that Radley kid? Like, is he from Mars?" I think none of my guys have ever spoke to the guy before. Like, he's off the wall. Look at the NBA guy that could go number one. Everybody's worried about what his dad's going to do. Well, that's a, and yeah. If his, if his dad's that big a screw-up, this kid hasn't got a chance. Well, unfortunately for him, but no, you're right. That's that's going to be an interesting one. The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900. AM 900 CHML.